had an interesting article this week in the Wall Street Journal. August 20th issue featured a story on, on workout apparel. Perhaps you read it. They cited a growing trend in the athletic apparel world in that market. People are buying sports clothing without actually practicing the sport. According to this article, the U.S. athletic apparel market will increase by nearly 50% to more than $100 billion by the end of this decade, 2020, driven in large part, they say, by consumers snapping up stretchy tees and shirts and leggings that will never see the fluorescent lights of a gym. They give an example from a recent study that showed sales in yoga apparel had increased by 45%, but in that same time, yoga participation in the local gyms had only grown by less than 5%. And so the article posed the question, why work out when you can just buy the clothes and look like you did? And then they quoted one person who liked to wear yoga pants around town, but seldom had time to work out. And she said, you know, when you put on your workout apparel, you think, huh, maybe I should think about working out today. I thought to myself, that reminds me of the church. Looking the part, dressed up like we've perhaps done the work, but maybe not. You know, we've been in this series, those of you who have been with us through the weeks, called Healthy Missional Markers. Ten markers that serve as as indicators. Again, not not the gospel, you know, not, uh, not holy writ, but they simply serve as indicators for churches to, to take a look and honestly assess health and vitality as ways to generate questions that, that might help us answer questions like, how are we doing as a church? And I've shared with you my bias. I don't think churches do that very often. We, we don't ask questions like, how are we doing or, or, or why are we doing this? Or perhaps, why haven't we considered this? Or how well are we doing what we do? And perhaps we could improve. Those are important questions. We've said from the beginning of the series that, that Jesus, uh, that, that the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. So that we ought to be concerned, I think, about purpose and, and quality related to what he wants from his church. And so that's why we've used these, these markers. Gone through them as our vitality team has, has been working along over the course of the last uh, 18 months or so, um, wondering about health and vitality, the life of Applewood. Now remember, healthy, we've termed that as meaning that we are pursuing Jesus in all things. That's what healthy churches do. And missional means that, that we're pursuing his mission in the world. And so we, we want to ask that question, what, what is it that, that Jesus wants us to do? And, and certainly we know. We know the big picture. Jesus wants us to, to be living for him, 
I should say living with him and for him and for his glory, for the glory of his Father. But in, in particular, what does that look like for the individual congregation? It takes commitment on the part of everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus in a local church, those folks working together to live out the life I think that Jesus has called his church to live. And if those people never ask those hard questions and face the honest answers and then willingly begin to to make necessary changes as they feel the Spirit of God is leading to be more faithful, I think it's a little bit like wearing the yoga pants and never working out. And that is not who God calls us to be. That is not who we want us to be. So this morning we're going to wrap up this series. And some of you are thinking, I thought this day would never come. Uh, we're going we're to smash the last two markers together, 9 and 10. Uh, we have to put them together because the person who planned this series didn't think it out well and ran out of Sundays. Next Sunday is Advent. I don't know who that person was, but next Sunday being Advent, we want to, uh, we want to be ready to, to jump in and give our, our full attention uh, to, to this uh, amazing season that is around the corner for us. So, let's put the last two on the screen this morning, numbers 9 and 10. And again, uh, just uh, by the way, you remember when we started this series weeks ago, uh, we, uh, we had an insert that was in the bulletin. Some of you probably still have that. If, if you never got it or if you've misplaced it and you'd like to have a reminder of all of them, uh, there are a few more out on the table in the foyer. You can always go to the denomination's website, which is cubchurch.org, and uh, you can find them there as well. So anyway, number nine says that uh, healthy, vital, missional churches have a culture of godly leadership. They have leaders at all levels who serve with character and competence and conviction. There is a spirit of collegiality that pervades that congregation, and the people trust the leaders, and the leaders trust the people. And there is an effort to continually identify and train Godly leaders for all dimensions of our ministry. That's the ninth missional marker, culture of godly leadership. The tenth one talks about fruitful organizational structures. Uh, People in a congregation with this can articulate a compelling and Christ-honoring vision for our church. Uh, They embrace evaluation as normal. Uh, There's that question, why why are we doing what we do and and how well are we doing? So that's embraced as normal, and and conflicts that arise in that process, uh, they're considered constructive and, and, uh, and healthy. Organizational structures are designed to be efficient at making decisions, but at the same time, they are building congregational ownership for those decisions. In other words, the, the life of the church, the direction of the church, the mission of the church, especially within the covenant denomination, belongs to the people. We are congregational to the core. Uh, The people who are the members, the family of Applewood, are the highest authority in in the life of the local church. And I think of all of the markers that we've looked at so far, these two present a rather unique challenge, uh, possibly problematic, even a threat to the mission of the church because of the prominence that each one of these has in the culture in which we live. Leadership is a huge topic these days in organizational life. Um, Organizational structure theory uh, is, is huge as well. Think about the other markers 
Quickly, we talked about the centrality of Scripture, evangelism, life-transforming walk with Jesus, compelling Christian community, heartfelt worship, global perspective and engagement, transforming communities through actions of compassion and mercy, justice ministries, sacrificial and generous living and giving. Who really cares about those things besides the people of God? That's kind of in-house language, if you will. But when we talk about organizational structures and leadership, we, we enter into an arena that a lot of the non-churched world can relate to. Strike up a conversation sometime with someone in the business world and talk to them about the centrality of Scripture or heartfelt worship. You're not likely going to find much resonation in them with those topics. But a conversation, particularly with a business person, about organizational structures and leadership, that's common ground. They, they understand that. They relate to that. I've had airplane conversations. You probably have as well. Sit down next to the stranger, and you know it's the courteous thing to say hello, and where are you from, and where are you going? Is this home, or are you traveling home? And, and then what is it that you do? And then usually when my response is, well, I'm a pastor... That's kind of the end of the conversation. Next time you're in Barnes and Noble or the Tattered Cover, great bookstore, peruse the business section. Search the topic of leadership on Amazon. There is no shortage of materials. Just an abundance. It seems like an endless supply. And I think... That is the potential challenge to the church because the scripture, truth be told, has very little to say about organizational structures and it doesn't say a whole lot about leadership process. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. You're not going to see much there. There's not much of how-to. That might be a problem because we looked at the very first missional marker weeks ago and remember what it was? The centrality of Scripture. So what you find, particularly in the New Testament, when you're in the era of the local church, is that there's an assumption that the church exists and that there are leaders. Great, that's helpful. What do we do with that? In his letters to Timothy, Paul speaks about requirements, character, qualities of, of leaders. But again, there's, there's no leadership development there. There's no, there's no theory there. So, so the church is faced with, I think, what is a dilemma, or at least I think maybe it should be a dilemma. It needs to, I think we all need to be people who are reading outside of our area of expertise or the life in which we live trying to, to read widely and to, to be able to engage people in meaningful conversation of where they're living their lives. And so I think it's important for the church to, and God's people that, that comprise the church, to avail themselves of, of the literature to learn and, and to even use and adapt principles of, of leadership and organizational theory uh, in terms of how that can benefit the ministry of the church. All truth, after all, is God's truth. But I think... The church must always do it with a critical eye. Here's where I think our challenge is. 
We've always got to do it with a critical eye for values and assumptions that are made that are inconsistent with the value system of the kingdom of God. Because that is the value system of the church. If the church isn't living out the value system of the kingdom of God, then it's yoga pants without going to the gym. Make sense? Okay. I can't remember who said this, but I have loved this statement for years. I think it might have been one of my professors in seminary used to love to say, we need to loot the world for the kingdom. We do. We need to avail ourselves of all the information and technology and good stuff that's out there, not for the sake of just it, but how does it help us further the ministry of the kingdom through the life of the church that God has called us to do? But what can happen if the, if the church is not cautious is that it will borrow from the literature, it'll borrow from the research that is prevalent in the culture without discerning the values of the kingdom and the values that are not of the kingdom. That's why I love the words that are used in, in these two markers. The church is not just interested in leadership. The church needs godly leadership. It's not just seeking efficient organizational structures. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that efficient is all that important in the kingdom. That's probably open for debate. And of course, you can be wrong if you don't agree with me. The church is not seeking necessarily efficient organizational structures, but it's seeking fruitful, fruitful organizational structures. And those structures might not always be the most efficient. They might not always be the least expensive. Those are values in the culture in which we live, but not necessarily in the kingdom of God. And it's that word fruitful that grabbed me early in the week and uh, brought to mind for me words from our text. So we're going we're gonna to read together from John chapter 15 this morning. These will be probably familiar words for many of you. So let's stand together. And let's read Jesus' words to his followers, first eight verses of John chapter 15. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I think it's worthwhile noting that Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples. The disciples who later became the apostles, who then became the leaders of the first church in Jerusalem. I believe that these words give us the most important quality to be found in any leader in any position in the local church. Any leader in any position. One of the tenets of Christian theology that is so incredibly important to me is our belief in the priesthood of all believers. Yes, I'm the pastor. You've called me to be your pastor. That doesn't for a moment make me more important than you. Doesn't for a moment make what I do more important than what you do and what God has called you to in the life of the church. You're hard-pressed if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, those two great body-life passages, to identify one person as more important than the other with the exception of Jesus, who is the head. There is one head to the church, and that ought to filter down to every local church, regardless of its size, its location, its shape, its color. There is one head, and that is Jesus. And so I think that in these familiar words from John's Gospel, spoken by Jesus, there is the requirement when we're talking about godly leadership. And that begins with being deeply rooted and attached to Jesus. No surprise there, right? That's what the word remain means in the original language. It it has the sense of purposefully putting oneself in one place and not moving ever. Have you done that in your commitment to the Lord Jesus? Have I done that? Every day do I renew that commitment? Every day do you renew that commitment? Today, Lord Jesus, I am remaining in you. As you have promised to be in me through this life and for all of eternity, I'm remaining in you. I am here and I am not leaving. And as I walk through the course of this day, you are my Lord. You are my commander. I will listen for your voice and I will ask for boldness to obey those things that you call me to in events and circumstances and relationships. It is mindful. It is intentional. It is purposeful. And it is the focus on the part of anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus because the stark reality, Jesus says, of not remaining in him is that we can do nothing And nothing, as you know, means nothing. Now, that's true on a couple of levels. One is more the philosophical, ontological level in terms of human life and existence. Do you think of that very often? I confess I do not. Every morning when you wake up and take a breath, it is because God has willed that you have another day. Or at least that breath. Maybe you're going to die in the second breath. I don't know. But so from that ontological perspective, that that talk of existence and beginnings, we can do nothing without 
the will of the Lord Jesus Christ giving us life. Paul wrote to the Colossians, you know these words, everything was made by him and for him. In him all things hold together. We are alive every day because he wills it. But in this text, I think Jesus is speaking more, if I can say practically, theologically, practically in terms of of our lives. When it comes to spiritual things, we can do nothing that has any value at all to the kingdom of God apart from His life and His power in us. In the agrarian language of the day, He refers to that as bearing fruit. This is to my Father's glory. Jesus says, shouldn't be surprised by that. The passion of his life was the glory of his father. The passion of his life was for those who knew him to know and experience his father and his love as he had done for all of eternity. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay? All right. Here's a question for you and a neighbor. We've only got about a minute for this. So you got to get deep fast. Here we go. What does this statement tell us about the importance of fruit and the nature or the kind of fruit? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What's Jesus talking about? Go ahead. See what your neighbor thinks. What do you think? It's actually kind of a couple of questions there. What is it telling us about the importance of it? And, and, and what's, what's the nature or the, the, the kind of fruit? What do you think? His fruit for his glory. So there's importance and there's type. Can you be more specific? Good. We're bearing it. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Keep that one in mind. What else? Okay. Good, good, good. And I love that. I would just add one little caveat to say that not everybody likes the same kind of fruit. You know? You know? <laughs> so th- it is possible you ask our Syrian brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, you know, many of them are repelling people because of that, but yet at the same time, by their own testimony, many of their Muslim neighbors are seeing Jesus in their lives. So absolutely, you're right on, you're right on. So what else? Okay, okay. And certainly healthy. All right. It's, uh, it's, I think it's important to, to just wrestle with this a little bit because what Jesus is saying to us, and, and this is, I think, where Ellen started us off at, Fruit-bearing is what a follower of Jesus does. If the Spirit is at work and we are surrendered to the work of the Spirit, we are going to bear fruit. doesn't mean we're all going to bear the same size fruit, the same kind of fruit, but we are going to bear fruit. It's it's an authentication of, of what we say we believe about Jesus and a relationship with Him. That is what makes it important. It shows us to be his followers. Remember, Jesus used this illustration in a society that was filled with rabbis and followers. Jesus was the teacher. He was the rabbi. These were his followers. And in that culture, the goal of the follower was to become like the rabbi in every way. So... That's what the disciples would have heard Jesus saying. A life of bearing fruit means that I am looking and sounding and acting like my rabbi as his follower. 
Sometimes I think there is a slight misunderstanding because people think in terms of, well, bearing fruit means that, that we're, we're going to go out and, and, and evangelize and we're going to make disciples. I don't think that that's the fruit that Jesus is talking about. That will flow out of a life of striving to be like Jesus, surrendered to the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the fruit of which there will be much, says Jesus, is all about becoming like him in every way possible in this life. So, so when the church, any church, thinks about the qualities of leadership, where does the discussion start? It starts with the heart of the person who's being considered for a leadership position. Again, whatever, whatever form that takes. We might call it a looking for passion fruit. Does a person have a passion to be like Jesus in every possible way? And and those who know them can attest to whether that fruit is present in their lives. You know, there's a statement that floats around in today's job market. I've probably heard it more in the last few years than I've ever heard it before. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Nothing could be truer for the church when it is looking for leaders in any position. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Does that mean that we're not concerned about things like abilities and education and, and, and God giving them a giftedness for a certain... No, not at all. But it recognizes that, that those things tend to pile up on the more important side, oftentimes in the life of churches. And I would say that those are driven more by the values of our culture than they are driven by the values of the kingdom of God. In an article... For Christianity Today, some years ago, it's called A Purpose-Driven Cosmos. The writer, Russell Moore, writes, For too long we've called unbelievers to invite Jesus into your life. That's really bad language. To invite Jesus into your life. He says this, Jesus doesn't want to be invited into your life. Your life's a wreck. Jesus calls you into his life. And his life isn't boring or purposeless or static. It's wild and it's exhilarating and it's often unpredictable. And that sounds a lot like Jesus. A person who is surrendered to Jesus may not always fit into the categories that, that the culture might assign as important. Sometimes I think the church assigns the wrong values of importance to certain things. And it may be that we need to rethink the importance of those categories. Those who are passionate about Jesus will show that fruit. And that fruit is something that Jesus is keenly interested in. Now, another quick leadership observation. Show of hands, how many of you think Jesus was a great leader? By whose terms? The culture, he was a disaster. Think about it. If it's our culture standard of leading a financially successful movement and building a well-structured organization, not at all. It was crazy. He chose misfits. He chose common, uneducated people. But by the time he finished pouring his life into them and then sent the Holy Spirit to complete the work after he left... 
It was a force that the world has never been able to reckon with. That's the church, my brothers and sisters. And when we talk about leadership models, if we're interested in bearing fruit, that is to the Father's glory, then we will be people, regardless of of the position that we hold in the local congregation, we're all leaders in one way or another. Regardless of the position, each and every one of us are called to pour ourselves into others as Jesus did. That is the Jesus theory of leadership. It's called servanthood. Passion for Jesus and humility like him ought to be what we are striving for as his people. All of us, no exceptions. The body of Christ becomes this place where people are passionate about Jesus, pouring their lives into one another and doing it with marked humility. Okay, I need to close. Just a couple of quick words about fruitful organizational structures. I don't have many because, quite frankly, I don't think organizational structures are all that important. They're very important in our culture. I just don't know how important they are in the life of the church unless the goal is what those words say. Fruitful organizational structures. In other words, are they structures that encourage fruitfulness? And what have we said fruitfulness is? Bearing fruit is? Being like Jesus. So the structures that are, are in, the, in, in the local church ought to be structures that are pushing people, always pushing people to be more like Jesus, that are freeing people up to be more like Jesus. Boy, you're going to hate that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I think one of the things that we need to be prepared for as the people of God living in this country where the church has occupied a rather special, and I I would even say for many centuries or decades, an honored position. Folks, that's going down the drain. And and one of the things that we wrestle with in, in the life of the church is living our lives according to the kingdom of God when the kingdom of this land begins to make things more and more difficult What are we going to do when the government decides to revoke our 501c3? It's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. So then the question becomes, that's what makes us a charitable contribution on your income tax forms. And so if you can no longer claim the money that you give to this church as a charitable contribution, will you still give it? Don't answer that. I think one of the things, if I can just be particular to us, that would be helpful in our organizational structure would be to find some folks who are willing to to gather together and to prayerfully consider how it is that Applewood is walking in step with the kingdom of God and anticipating perhaps some of those cultural forces and events that are are brewing out there, how they will impact us and how we can be prepared to continue to bear great fruit for Jesus. 
we, uh, we think in terms of, and I, and I mean we, I include myself in this, we think in terms of fruitful organizational structures as, as balance, perhaps both financially and in other ways. We think of fruitful organizational structures as flowcharts that show us who's in charge of what, who's accountable to who. I think fruitful organizational structures start with Jesus. They recognize the the giftedness of God's people that he calls into the local body. They're willing to tackle and live with some of the tensions that that the requirements of our culture put upon us because we, we are a church and yet are always thinking and praying and, and, and pushing forward in ways that, that challenge and energize and motivate and free people up to be fruitful and to do the work of the ministry. Living into the values of the kingdom of God. Values like less is more and weak is strong and wow. You know, those are, those are time-honored kinds of values. Uh, that, that shape our culture and, and often shape many of, of our churches. May we be a people who, who are interested in fruitful organizational structures that maybe even provide a little chaos along the way. Who's in charge of that? Pfft, beats me, but have you seen what God is doing in those people's lives? You know, How much is that going to cost? I have no idea. But I'm confident God's going to provide. What do you think? Shall we pray about it? Those kinds of things that can be so foreign in the life of a church. Okay, praise team, I've, I've meddled enough. Come on up and prepare to, uh, to lead us as, as we close. Brothers and sisters, God gives his church the freedom, really, to govern itself in any way that it sees fit, unless, of course, you're Presbyterian and you don't agree with that. But I believe that he gives his church freedom. I don't believe that the scripture outlines a precise system of organization. What I am convinced that the scripture shows us is that leadership needs to be godly. People need to be pursuing Christ. And God's people, as the priesthood of all believers, need to be pursuing him together, regardless of their role and structures, structures need to, to be grounded in the values of the kingdom of God, lived out in ways that, that energize us and excite us for what God is doing in his world and witness to the amazing, marvelous reality of the kingdom.